Greetings. How are y'all? We're going to almost finish the book, or we will finish it tonight. So, the battlefield of the mind. So, if you you need some help with your mind, you're in the right place at the right time. And if you don't need any work with your mind, then you need to be teaching tonight. <laughs> or teaching somewhere, or have your own church or somewhere. So, uh, we're going to ask uh, Barbara. Uh, no, I mean... Um, Not Rabbi, Rabbi Net. Rabbi Et. Rabbi Et. If Jesus is a rabbi, you'd have to be a Rabbi Et. Rabbi, Rabbit, Easter. Okay. So y'all give her a hand as she comes. Amen. Well, you know, it's a privilege to come tonight and to share this awesome word that Miss. Joyce Meyer has already given for us, you know, and already proved it out, and all we have to do is receive it and put it to work, and we know it's worked for her, and it's the Word, and the Word is forever settled in heaven. Amen? Glory to God. Well, it starts off, the chapter is, my life is so miserable, I feel sorry for myself because my life is so wretched. I'm sure all of us have said that at one time. Numbers 14, 1 and 2, And all the congregation cried out with a loud voice, and they wept that night. All the Israelites grumbled and deplored their situation. I've probably done that too. <laughs> the Israelites felt exceedingly sorry for themselves. Every inconvenience became a new excuse to engage in self-pity. I remember when the Lord spoke to me during one of my pity parties. He said, Joyce, you can be pitiful or powerful, but you can't be both. There is a chapter that I don't want to skim over. This is a chapter that I don't want to skim over too quickly. It is vitally important to understand that we cannot entertain the sin of self-pity and also walk in the power of God. Encourage and edify one another. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage, admonish, exhort one another and edify, strengthen and build up one another just as you are doing. Pity was hard for me to give up. I had used it for years to comfort myself when I was hurting. The minute someone hurts us, the moment we experience disappointment, the devil begins to whisper lies to us about how cruelly and unjustly we have been mistreated. All you need to do is listen to the thoughts rushing in your mind during such times, and you'll quickly realize how the enemy uses self-pity to keep us in bondage. The Bible, however, gives us no liberty to feel sorry for ourselves. Instead, we are to encourage and edify one another in the Lord. Amen. There is a true gift of compassion, which is having godly pity toward others who are hurting and spending our life relieving their suffering. But self-pity is perverted because it is taking something that God intended to be given to others and turning it on ourselves. Love is the same way. Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. He has done this so we might know how God loves us and that we may be able to love others. When we take the love God meant to be given away and turn it toward ourselves, it becomes selfishness and self-centeredness, which actually destroys us. We certainly should love ourselves in a balanced way, appreciating what God has made and having self-respect, but excessive love, self-love is a huge problem. Self-pity is idolatry, turning it on ourselves, concentrating on us and our feelings. 
It makes us only aware of our own selves and our own needs and concerns, and that is certainly a narrow-minded way to live. Think of others. Let each of you esteem and look upon and be concerned for not merely his own interests, but also each for the interest of others. That's Philippians 2.4. Recently, one of our speaking engagements was unexpectedly canceled. It was one I had been looking forward to, and initially I was a bit disappointed. There was a time when an incident like that would have thrown me into a fit of self-pity, criticism, judgment of the other party, and all kinds of negative thoughts and actions. I have since learned in that kind of situation just to be quiet. It's better to say nothing than to say the wrong thing. As I sat quietly, God began to show me the situation from the viewpoint of the other people involved. They had been unable to locate a building in which to hold the meeting, and God showed me how disappointing it was to them. They were counting on the meeting, looking forward to it with great expectation, and now they could not have it. It is amazing how easy it is to stay out of self-pity if we look at the other person's side and not just at our own. Self-pity is supported by thinking only of us and no one else. We literally exhaust ourselves trying to gain sympathy. Yes, self-pity is a major trap and one of Satan's favorite tools to keep us in the wilderness. If we're not careful, we can actually become addicted to it. An addiction is something done as an automatic response to some stimulus, a learned behave pattern that has become habitual. How much time do you spend in self-pity? How do you respond to disappointments? A Christian has a rare privilege because when he experiences disappointment, he can be reappointed. (laughs) With God, there's always a new beginning available. Self-pity, however, keeps us trapped in the past. Let go and let God. Do not earnestly remember the former things, neither consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive and know it? Will you not give heed to it? I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Hallelujah. Isaiah 43 and 18 and 19. I wasted many years of my life feeling sorry for myself. I was one of those cases of addiction. My automatic response to any kind of disappointment was self-pity. Satan would immediately fill my mind with wrong thoughts and not knowing how to think about what I was thinking about, I simply thought on whatever fell into my head. The more I thought, the more pitiful I felt. I often tell stories about the early years of our marriage. Every Sunday afternoon during football season, Dave wanted to watch the games on television. If it was not football season, it was some other ball season. Dave enjoyed it all, and I did not enjoy any of it. He liked anything that involved a bouncing ball and could easily get so caught up in some sports event that he didn't even know I existed. (laughs) One time I stood in front of him and said very clearly, Dave, I don't feel well at all. I feel like I'm going to die. Without raising his eyes from the television screen, he said, "Uh, uh uh-huh, that's nice, dear. (laughs) I spent many Sunday afternoons angry and in self-pity. I always cleaned house when I got mad at Dave. I've done that. I know now that I was trying to make him feel guilty for enjoying himself while I was being so miserable. I would storm around the house for hours, slamming doors and drawers, marching back and forth through the room where he was, vacuum sweeper in hand, making a loud display of how hard I was working. I was, of course, trying to get his attention, but he hardly noticed me at all. I would give up, go to the back of the house, sit on the bathroom floor and cry. And the more I cried, the more pitiful I felt. God gave me insight in later years about why a woman goes to the bathroom to cry. 
He said it's because there's a big mirror in there. And after she has cried for a long time, you can stand up and take a long look at yourself and see how truly pitiful she looks. <laughs> I look so bad sometimes that when I saw my reflection in the mirror, I'd start crying all over again. <laughs> Finally, I would make my sorrowful last stroll through the family room where Dave was, walking slowly and ever so pitifully. He would occasionally look up long enough to ask me to bring in some iced tea if I was going to the kitchen. <laughs> The bottom line is it didn't work. I exhausted myself emotionally, often ending up feeling physically sick due to all the wrong emotions I had experienced all day. God will not deliver you by your own hand, but by his. Only God can change people. Nobody but the Almighty could have discouraged Dave from wanting to watch as many sports as he did. As I learned to trust the Lord and stop wallowing in self-pity when I did not get my way, Dave did come into more balance concerning watching every sporting event. He still enjoys them, and now it really doesn't bother me. I just use the time to do things I enjoy. If I really do want or need to do something else, I ask Dave sweetly, not angrily, and most of the time he's willing to alter his plans. There are those times, though, and there will always be when I don't get my way. As soon as I feel my emotions start to rise, I pray, Oh, God, help me pass this test. <laughs> I don't want to go around this mountain even one more time. <laughs> Amen. Chapter 23, I don't deserve God's blessings because I'm not worthy. Joshua 5.9 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of the place is called Gilgal, rolling to this day. After Joshua had led the Israelites across the Jordan River into the Promised Land, there was something God needed to do before they'd be ready to conquer and occupy their first town, which was to be Jericho. The Lord ordered all the Israelite males to be circumcised, since this had not been done during the entire 40 years they had wandered in the wilderness. This required obedience and was to be a sign of their willingness to turn away from fleshly, worldly ways and embark upon a new way of living for God. After this was done, the Lord told Joshua that he had rolled away the reproach of Egypt from his people. A few verses later in chapter 6, the account begins of how God led the children of Israel to overcome and capture Jericho. Why did the reproach have to be lifted off of them first? What is a reproach? The word reproach means to blame, disgrace, shame. When God said that he would roll away the reproach of Egypt from the Israelites, he was making a point. Egypt represents the world. And after a few years of being in the world and becoming worldly, we all need the reproach of it rolled away. Because of the things I had done and what had been done to me, I had a shame-based nature. I blamed myself for what had happened to me even though much of it had taken place in my childhood and there was nothing I could have done to stop it. We have said that grace is the power of God coming to us as a free gift from God to help us do with ease what we can't do for ourselves. God wants to give us grace and Satan wants to give us disgrace, which is another word for reproach. Disgrace told me that I was no good, not worthy of God's love or help, Shame had poisoned my inner man. I was not only ashamed of what had been done to me, but I was ashamed of myself. Deep down inside, I didn't like myself. 
God rolling away their reproach from us means that each of us may receive for ourselves the forgiveness he is offering for all of our past sins. We must realize that you can never deserve God's blessings. You can never be worthy of them. You can only humbly accept and appreciate them and be in awe of how good he is and how much he loves you. Self-hatred, self-rejection, and refusal to accept God's forgiveness by forgiving yourself, not understanding righteousness through the blood of Jesus, and all related problems will definitely keep you wandering in the wilderness. Your mind must be renewed concerning right standing with God through Jesus and not through your own works. I am convinced after many years in ministry that about 85% of our problems stem from the way we feel about ourselves. Any person you know who is walking in victory is also walking in righteousness. I know I don't deserve God's blessings, but I receive them anyway because I am a joint heir with Christ. That's Romans eight seventeen. He earned them, and I get them by placing my faith in him. Heir or labor, Galatians 4, 7 says, Therefore you are no longer a slave, a bondservant, but a son, and if a son, then if it follows that you are an heir by the aid of God through Christ. Are you a son or a slave, an heir or a bondservant? An heir is one who receives something other than by merit, as when property is passed down from one person to another through a will. A bondservant or laborer in the biblical sense is one who is weary from trying to follow the law. The term denotes burdensome toil and trouble. I wandered around in the wilderness for years as a laborer, trying to be good enough to deserve what God wanted to give me freely by his grace. I had a wrong mindset. First, I thought that everything must be earned and deserved. Nobody does anything for you for nothing. I have been taught that principle for years. Over and over, I had heard that statement while growing up. I was told that anyone who acted like he wanted to do something for me was lying and would take advantage of me in the end. Experience with the, with the world teaches us that we must deserve everything we get. If we want friends, we are told we must keep them happy all the time or they'll reject us. If we want a promotion on the job, everyone says we must know the right people, treat them a certain way, and maybe one day we'll get a chance to go forward. By the time we're weary with the world and all of its ways, the reproach of it lies heavily upon us and definitely needs to be rolled away. How do you see yourself? In Numbers 13.33 says, There we saw the giants, the son of Anak, who came from the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. The Israelites had that reproach on them. The fact that they had a negative opinion of themselves is seen in this verse. Ten of the twelve spies who were sent in to scout out the promised land before the entire nation crossed over Jordan came back saying that the land was inhabited by giants who saw them as grasshoppers, and so they were in their own eyes. This plainly lets us know what these people thought of themselves. Please be aware that Satan will fill your mind, if he is allowed to, with all types of negative thinking about yourself. He began early building strongholds in your mind, 
many of them negative things about you and about how other people feel about you. He always arranges for a few situations in which you experience rejection. So he can bring the pain of it back to your remembrance during a time when you're trying to make some progress. Fear of failure and rejection keep many people in the wilderness. Being slaves in Egypt for so many years and living under severe mistreatment had left a reproach on the Israelites. It is interesting to note that almost none of that generation that originally came out of Moses entered the promised land. It was their children who went in. Yet God told them he had to roll away the reproach from them. Most of them had been born in the wilderness after their parents had left Egypt. How could they have the reproach of Egypt upon them when they didn't even live there? Things that were on your parents can be passed on to you. Attitudes, thoughts, and behavior patterns can be inherited. A wrong mindset that your parents had can become your mindset. The way you think about a certain subject can be passed down to you, and you won't even know why you think that way. A parent who has a poor self-image, an attitude of unworthiness, and an I-don't-deserve-God's-blessing mindset can definitely pass that mindset on to his children. Even though I talked about this earlier in the book, because it is such an important area, let me mention again that you need to be aware of what goes on in your mind in regard to yourself. God is willing to give you mercy for your failures if you're willing to receive it. He does not reward the perfect who have no flaws and never make mistakes, but those who put their faith and trust in him. Hebrews eleven six says, But without faith it is impossible to please and be satisfactory to him. For whoever would come near to God must necessarily believe that God exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly and diligently seek him out. Please notice that without faith you cannot please God. Therefore, no matter how many good works you offer, it will not please him if they were done to earn his favor. Whatever we do for God should be because we love him, not because we're trying to get something from him. This powerful scripture says that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I rejoiced when I finally saw this. I know I have made many mistakes in the past, but I also know that I have diligently sought the Lord with all my heart. That means that I qualify for rewards. I decided a long time ago that I would receive any blessing that God wanted to give me. The Lord wanted to take the Israelites into the promised land and bless them beyond their wildest imaginations. But first he had to roll the reproach off of them. They could not have received from him properly as long as they were burdened down with shame, blame, and disgrace. Even as in his love he chose us, actually picked us out for himself as his own. In Christ before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, consecrated, and set apart for him, and blameless in his sight, even above reproach before him in love. That's Ephesians 1.14. This is a wonderful scripture. In it, the Lord tells us that we are his and set forth for what he wants. That we should know that we're loved, special, 
valuable, and that we should be holy, blameless, and above reproach. Naturally, we should do what we can to live holy lives, but thank God when we do make mistakes, we are forgiven and restored to holiness, made once again blameless and above reproach, all in him. If any of you is deficient in wisdom, let him ask of the giving God, who gives to everyone liberally and ungrudgingly, without reproaching or fault-finding, and it will be given him, James 1.5. This is another great scripture that teaches us to receive from God without reproach. James had been previously speaking to people who were having trials, and now he's telling them that if they need wisdom in their situation, they should ask God. He assures them that he won't reproach or find fault with them. He'll just help them. You'll never make it through the wilderness without a great deal of help from God. Amen. But if you have a negative attitude about yourself, even when he does try to help you, you won't receive it. If you desire to have a victorious, powerful, positive life, you cannot be negative about yourself. Don't look only at how far you have to go but at how far you have come. Consider your progress and remember Philippians 1.6. I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work and perfecting and bringing it to full completion in you. Think and speak positively about yourself. She has an update here. This is all this, although this book was written many years ago, I am more convinced than ever that how we feel about ourselves affects every area of our life. I strongly urge you to come to a place of peace with yourself. You may not like everything you do, but you can and should like yourself. I finally decided that since Jesus loved me enough to die for me, that the least I could do was like myself. Why not give yourself a big hug right now? Let's do that. And say out loud, because of what Jesus has done, I love and accept myself. He has given me a new nature, and I am ready for the new life he wants me to live. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Why shouldn't I be jealous and envious when everybody else is better off than I am? I don't know if I've ever said that. <laughs> John 21 and uh, verse 21, 22. When Peter saw him, John, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if I want him to stay, survive, live till I come, what is that to you? <laughs> what concern is it of yours? You follow me. In John 21, Jesus was conversing with Peter regarding the hardships that he would have to endure in order to serve and glorify him. But as soon as Jesus had said these things to him, Peter turned, saw John, and immediately asked Jesus what his will was for him. Peter wanted to make sure that if he was going to have to go through rough times ahead, so would John. <laughs> In answer, Jesus politely told Peter to mind his own business. <laughs> yep. Minding, having our own mindset on other people's business, will keep us in the wilderness. 
jealousy, envy, and mentally comparing ourselves and our circumstances with others is a wilderness mentality. Beware of jealousy and envy. Proverbs 14.30 says, A calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and health of the body, but envy, jealousy, and wrath are like rottenness of their bones. Envy will cause a person to behave in a way that is callous and crude, even animalistic at times. Envy caused Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. They hated him because their father loved him so much. If there's someone in your family who seems to have more favor than you, don't hate that individual. Trust God. Do what he asks you to do. Believe him for favor, and you will end up like Joseph, extremely blessed. Vine's Expository Dictionary of the Old and New Testament Words defines the Greek word translated envy as the feeling of displeasure produced by witnessing the prosperity of others. Jealousy is defined by Webster as feelings of envy, apprehension, or bitterness. I interpret this definition as being fearful of losing what you have to another, resentment of another's success arising from feelings of envy. Don't compare and compete. Now, an eager contention arose among those as to which of them was considered and reputed to be the greatest. But Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles are defiled by them and exercise lordship, ruling as emperor gods over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors and well-doers. But this is not to be so with you. On the contrary, let him who is greatest among you become like the youngest, and him who is the chief and leader like one who serves. That's Luke 22, 24 through 26. In my early life, I had an abundance of struggles with jealousy, envy, and comparison. There is a common trait of the insecure. This is a common trait. If we are not secure concerning our own worth and value as a unique individual, we will naturally find ourselves competing with anyone who appears to be successful and doing well. Learning that I was that individual, that God had a unique personal plan for my life, has been indeed been one of the most valuable and precious freedoms the Lord has granted me. I am assured that I need not compare myself or my ministry with anyone. I am also encouraged that there is hope for me when I look at Jesus' disciples and realize that they struggled with many of the same things I do. In Luke 22, we find the disciples arguing over which of them was the greatest. Jesus responded to them by saying that the greatest was actually the one who was willing to be considered the least or the one who was willing to be a servant. Our Lord spent a great deal of his time trying to teach his disciples that life in the kingdom of God is usually the direct opposite of the way of the world or the flesh. Jesus taught them things like, Many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. That's Mark 10, 31. Rejoice with those who are blessed. Pray for your enemies and bless them who mistreat you. The world would say that this is foolish, but Jesus said it is true power. Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not become vainglorious and self-conceited, competitive and challenging and provoking and irritating to one another, envying and being jealous of one another. According to the world system, the best place to be is ahead of everyone else. Popular thinking would say that we should try to get to the top no matter whom we have to hurt on the way up. 
But the Bible teaches us that there's no such thing as real peace until we are delivered from the need to compete with others. Even in it, what is supposed to be considered fun games, we often see competition get out of balance, that people end up arguing and hating one another, rather than simply relaxing and having a good time together. Naturally, human beings don't play games to lose. Everyone is going to do his best. But when a person cannot enjoy a game unless he's winning, he definitely has a problem, possibly a deep-rooted one that is causing other problems in many areas of his life. We should definitely do our best on the job. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do well and advance in our chosen profession. But I encourage you to remember that that promotion from the believer comes from God and not from man. You and I don't need to play worldly games to get ahead. God will give us favor with him and with others if we will do things his way. Jealous and, jealousy and envy are torments from hell. I spent many years being jealous and envious of anyone who looked better than I did or had talents I didn't have. I secretly lived in competition with others in ministry. It was very important to me that my ministry be bigger in size, better attended, more prosperous, etc., than anyone else's. If another person's ministry surpassed mine in any way, I wanted to be happy for that individual because I knew it was God's will and way, but something in my soul just would not allow it. I found as I grew in the knowledge of who I was in Christ and not in my works that I gained freedom in not having to compare myself or anything I did with anything anyone else. The more I learned to trust God, the more freedom I enjoyed in these areas, I learned my Heavenly Father loves me and will do for me whatever is best for me. What God does for you or for me may not be what he does for someone else. But we must remember what Jesus said to Peter. Don't be concerned about what I choose to do with someone else. You follow me. That's awesome advice. A friend of mine was once given something as a gift from the Lord that I was believing for and had wanted a long time. Now, I did not consider this friend to be nearly as spiritual as I, and so I became very jealous and envious when she excitedly came to my front door sharing with me what God had done for her. Of course, in her presence, I pretended to be happy for her, but in my heart, I wasn't. When she left, attitudes rolled out of me that I never would have thought were in me. I actually resented God blessing her because I did not think she deserved it. After all, I stayed home, fasted, and prayed while she ran around with her friends and had a good time. You see, I was a Pharisee, a religious snob, and didn't even know it. God arranges e events quite often in a way that we would not choose because he really knows what we need. I needed to get rid of my bad attitudes much more than I needed whatever it was that I was believing for. It is important for God to arrange our circumstances in such a way that we have to, be eventually, have to eventually face ourselves. Otherwise, we never experience freedom. As long as the enemy can hide in our soul, he will always have a certain amount of control over us. But when God exposes him, we are on our way to freedom. If we will put ourselves in God's hands and permit him to do quickly what he desires to do. God had, in fact, already purposed for my life that the ministry he would make me steward over was to be quite large, reach millions of people by radio and television, internet, seminars, books, and all forms of recorded messages. But he would not bring me into the fullness of it, except to the degree that I grew up in him. 
get a new mindset. Beloved, I wish above all things that you be prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. Consider the scripture carefully. God desires to bless us even more than we desire to be blessed. But he also loves us enough not to bless us beyond our capacity to handle the blessings properly and to continue giving him glory. Jealousy, envy, and comparing oneself with others are childish. They belong entirely to the flesh and have nothing to do with spiritual things. But jealousy is one of the major causes for wilderness living. Take account of your thoughts in this area. When you recognize wrong thought patterns beginning to flow into your mind, talk to yourself a little. Say to yourself, what good will it do for me to be jealous of others? It won't get me blessed. God has an individual plan for each of us, and I am going to trust him to do the best thing for me. It isn't any of my business what he chooses to do for other people. Then deliberately and purposely pray for them to be blessed more. Don't be afraid to be honest with God about your feelings. He knows how you feel anyway, so you might as well talk to him about it. I have said things to the Lord like this, God, I pray for so-and-so to be blessed even more. Cause her to prosper, bless her in every way. Lord, I'm praying this by faith. In my spirit, I feel jealous of her and inferior to her, but I choose to do this your way, whether I feel like it or not. Recently, I heard someone say that no matter how well we can do something, there will always arise someone who can do it better. This statement had an impact on me because I knew it to be true. And if this is true, then what is the purpose of struggling all our lives to get ahead of someone else? As soon as we become number one, someone will be competing with us, and sooner or later, that one person will appear who can do whatever we're doing a little bit better than we can. Think of sports. It seems no matter what record some uh, athlete sets, eventually another athlete comes along and breaks it. What about the entertainment field? The current stars only tops for a certain period of time, and then someone new comes along to take his place. What a terrible de deception it is to think that we must always struggle to get ahead of everyone else and then fight to stay there. Our value is not rooted in what we do, but in the fact that God loves us and sent his only son to die for us. God told me a long time ago to remember that shooting stars rise quickly and get a lot of attention, but usually they are around for only a short period of time. Most of the time, they fall as quickly as they arise. He told me that it is much better to be around for the long haul, hanging in there, and doing what he has asked me to do to the best of my ability. He has assured me that he will take care of my reputation, and for my part, I have decided that whatever he wants me to do and be is all right with me. Why? Because he knows what I can handle before I, better than I do. Perhaps you've had a mental stronghold for a long time in this area. Each time you come across someone who appears to be a little ahead of you, you feel jealousy, envy, or a desire to enter a, into a competition with that person. If so, I exhort you to get a new mindset. Always remember that getting ahead of someone else does not make you more valuable to God than you already are. Set your mind to be happy for others. Trust God with yourself. It'll take some time and persistence, but when that old mental stronghold has been torn down and replaced by the Word of God, you will be on your way out of the wilderness and into the promised land. Amen.
This is the kind of book you only need to read once in your life because you'll get it forever. Never forget any of this stuff. Never have an opportunity to. It's one of those things once done. and That's really the kind of book that you, you could violate tomorrow morning. <laughs> it's really one of those books that you should own. And, huh? Uh, she is because you know she has a, a very unique ministry in the sense that um, <clears throat> she deals with a lot of particulars and you know she's of course used in the scripture but she's related everything to the daily life and attitudes and relationships and marriages and and then coming out of her background with uh, being uh, as a child and abused and molested and such as this I mean she is qualified to help hurting people. So there's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 10 in verse 12. You can just listen. It says, For we dare not make ourselves with a number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. Why? Because they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves against themselves and they're not wise for doing so. So let me read the, the end part of that again. Why does not God want you to compare yourself to anyone else? to workplace or you know it's, you know it's, it's good to have a sometimes singers have someone or a musician have someone that can sing it this way they play it this way that ministers have the same one I, you know just like this or like that it, it can be in any field and it's good to glean from that and and uh but we ultimately to glorify God we need to be who we are if if you're going to be someone, if you're going to be just like someone else, then that looks like one of the two is unnecessary. And if I and if really I'm just mimicking them, I suppose I'm the one who's unnecessary. And the glory goes to God when we are who He made us to be. So once again, having said that, He says, but the, He says, uh, He said, the, what they do is they measure themselves by themselves, and they compare themselves. Uh, amongst themselves, and they're not wise. So uh, amplifies however when they measure themselves with themselves, same thing. Anyway, so that's not wise. In the chapter before that, she was talking a lot about self-pity and attitudes and how we feel and how that settles in to our thinking. And uh, we're, we're in a time where if, if you, uh, like if you're watching Copeland this week, which is really good, and, uh, and I know most people was not home during the day, and they're like, I know who Copeland is, but I don't know what he's talking about. Well, they're kind of picking up on the prophecies of this year about signs, manifestations, wonders, miracles, such as that. And most of the church would say, yeah, that's right. You know, I, I believe in that. But I think of only small few, select few ever actually walk in it. And one of the reasons why I think very few people walk in it is because most people have never got really involved in and heard the message of grace, how much God loves them. See, it's one thing to say, I believe God is doing that, wants to do that, wants to reach people. And I said, you do good. Then come lay hands on her right now. She wants she has a, a deaf ear. Come open it. Oh, well, I thought you would do that. <laughs> well, you said you believed in it. Well, I do. What's well, in the scripture? Well, yeah, but I, I just thought you would be doing it. So what we're doing is we're looking inwardly, and we, and we would think, well, you know... I've got some things in my life, and I just don't see what I'm talking about. So we, so we, we delete ourselves from the whole process because we see ourselves 
not able or we have some stuff in our life or some attitudes or could be some secret sins, all kind of stuff that we're sure God would never use us for anything. Everybody in this room has something. I, I may have one thing. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's an attitude or whatever, you know, whatever it is. No one has ever reached the pinnacle. No one ever has. No one who ever lived ever has. We, we hadn't even got close to the mark. If God was using the perfect people, he would have no one to use. He would have no one to use. And so, <clears throat> you know, trying to get a, a church to move into, or a whole group of people to move into the, the signs and the wonders and the miracle realms, even though it's greatly necessary, I mean, doesn't help on the mission field to have signs, wonders, and miracles. I mean, when you, when you can get eyes to open up, you've got a congregation. And you put something warm on their feet and warm on their hands, and give them some hot cocoa, what time's the meeting? See what I'm saying? So, so, so we need the signs, wonders, and miracles. But if you're waiting until you have everything right and our attitude and we've got it all worked out about everything and you know, and you told the Lord I was going to quit Bugs Bunny and watching Tom and Jerry and then you slipped and did it again or something, you know. I'm not saying not live clean lives. I'm, I'm just saying... You know, if God was waiting until you graduated from everything, he'd have nobody to work with. Nobody. Some of the biggest ministries in the world, and a lot of them was ended too early and didn't have to be ended. Jack Coe, I mean, wow, you talk about miracles. I mean, y'all look up Jack Coe sometime and just go YouTube or someone and, and see some of the miracles he had. He died at 38 years of age. And... You know, he had people come to him. The Lord sent to him to, God wants you to deal with this about your life, and he didn't. But uh, so, so he had all kind of problems. They told him, I know Brother Hagin was sent to, he was one of them that sent to him, told him to deal with the money issues and tell him, and told him to deal with the, his love walk toward other ministers and told him to deal with his diet because he was big enough as three men put in one body. And he said, I'll do what I want to. And he died at 38. William Brand died at 56. Moved powerfully in miracles. Moved so powerfully, people talked him into he was the Elijah had come back, and he, he he started believing in himself. He died in the car wreck at 56 years of age. But God used all kind of people who did major things. Amen. So <clears throat> my, that's my only point is uh, we do need to move into the area of the supernatural. But at the same time, we need to understand that God's going to start us where we are. Okay. This is not a five-fold ministry thing. This is, this is a people thing. There's only one more chapter. It's about six pages, but we don't have time to do that tonight. So I don't know. We'll, we'll do something with that next week or whatever. and going to move into some other stuff. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed the book. I know it was kind of long in one sense. We could all get together if y'all wanted to for one day and finish the whole book. But I didn't think anybody was available all day. I, mean, I could meet you, but I don't think you could meet me. So I hope it didn't. Anybody get bored? Anybody learn anything? Anybody have any uh-oh moments? <laughs> Just a few of them? How many of you know someone who really needs this book other than you? Did you tell them they needed it? <laughs> so here's what I'm working on. You can read it with me. <laughs> it's, it's so easy to see, but boy, they need that. That's just so easy for us to find. But they really need that. And that fourth chapter, sister, you need to get that and read it. <laughs> three times <laughs> praise the Lord well so we'll do whatever we're going to do next week about that so 
Well, let's receive the offering before we're gone, and we'll. Uh, nice to have a, a spring day, wasn't it? Almost like summer out there. Praise the Lord. Uh, once again, just want to remind you of uh, those of you here bringing in items for the uh, mission, money for mission, yard sale items. We, we're receiving that. You can go ahead and bring them in and receive some tonight. And so uh, <clears throat> if you have something around the house, we can, and it can turn into cash and uh, make a powerful message for Jesus somewhere else on the earth, and you're not using it. Maybe if you are using it, I don't know. Keep your toothbrush, however. <laughs> and the dates on that is what, April 17th and 18th? So we need items, and then we need people who can help on the 17th and 18th, I'm assuming. If y'all bring all that up here just for me, I'm not going to have a yard sale. I'll just go ahead and tell you. So, uh, But we'll, we'll need help, and we'll need... That sounded mean, didn't it? But it's the truth. I won't. You know, I'm only one person in the five-fold ministry, which means I can only do one thing at a time. <laughs> so if I leave the earth early, you know, trying to sell a hairbrush or, you know, whatever, it just, you know, I don't think it was God's plan. Just, just thinking about stuff. <laughs> but it is important. 